you're in the NFL, you're a modern-day gladiator. Football is more violent than any other sport. It's the dream. My favorite is when the team is coming together. It gets me every single time. We strive for the interaction on the fan forum. An absolute freak. One of my favorite football players of all time. I'm not opposed to Detroit trading down. Does it get any better than Al Pacino's Game of Inches? Welcome back to the Detroit Lions Fan Forum Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to our Game 5 recap. Let's uh, let's not waste any time here. We kind of got it laid out for you. We know what we want to talk about. I think based off the Fan Forum, we know what the hot topics are this week. So, again, I'm back with Bob and I'm back with Ronnie. Uh, I want to start out kind of following the same format that we've that we followed pretty consistently here. Let's talk about the offense. Um, I have a few bullet points here that I think we'll cover throughout the uh, the course of the show here. Let's start with uh, Ronnie's take on the offense overall. Yeah, I think the offense overall has been pretty consistent with what we've been seeing so far this year. Jared Goff, again, just not doing enough to win games. I guess we all thought he could have won the game at the very end, but the defense let up a couple big plays. But still, he had big two big turnovers, both in the Minnesota Vikings end of the field. He had a big pick and another fumble. Leads the league in fumbles. He can't do this. He's costing us games with the turnovers. Again, the running game looked pretty solid. Uh, Swift looking like a very special player. Jamal Williams has been very consistent all year. I believe they both had about 50 yards rushing. I want to say DeAndre Swift had another 50 yards receiving. They both were averaging over four yards a carry. Again, a very solid run game, even with Frank Ragnall out. That's very solid to see. Uh, sticking with the offensive line, obviously Frank Ragnall was out and the offensive line played somewhat pretty well in the run department, very well. But uh, Penny Sewell looking like a rookie. You know, he starts the season out very well. And he had a very tough matchup against Everson Griffin. Everson Griffin had two sacks in a row on Penne. Obviously, one of those sacks was that that led to the Goff fumble. So, I mean, I, it's a lot of what we've been seeing on the offense as a whole. Uh, I wasn't really surprised by anything. I think they just played all right. Did they do enough as a whole to win the game? I would say yes. Obviously, they had the lead with 30 seconds to go. Do I think Jared Goff did enough to win them the game? No, I don't, because he had another two big turnovers. Um, the receiving department, just a bummer. And, you know, Quentin Seafest, he's looking like he's stepping up this year. He's, he's surprising me. I did not think he was this type of player. Uh, I thought he was playing well above average this season, especially with the offense that we have with Jared Goff as quarterback. And it's just makes a huge play at the end of the half on Patrick Peterson, one of the greatest cornerbacks to play the game or in our era. And then he's likely out for the year now with a broken collarbone. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, I'll give him some kudos too. I've been down on him a lot this year. And he obviously played his best game of the season as a lion or in his rookie year. So I got to give him some props as well for stepping up, especially since Quint has fell down to injury. So all in all, you know, it's, it is what it is. I'm not surprised, you know, by how the offense well, but I'm not extremely disappointed, I guess, either. Let's go back to something that you said right at the beginning. Bob, what is your take on golf and the, and the turnovers? I mean, obviously you can see what you can see. He's turning the ball over way too much, but 
during the week um, after the game, I should say, Dan Campbell came out and literally said, I think Jared Goff is trying to do too much. If you look at, I think it was the third quarter interception that he just didn't see the linebacker. You can see it on tape. You can see it from every angle. And is, is this a case of him trying to do too much? Is he trying to, to squeeze uh, water out of the stone? What, what do you um, attribute this increase in turnovers to? Whew, that's a tough one. I mean, I guess if you look at it, you could probably say he's trying to do too much. But honestly, if you look at what he's done every game, I mean, is there a difference in trying to do too much this game or doing the same thing he's done for the last four games, really? So, I mean, I don't know if trying to do too much is an excuse. I mean, it's a tough one. I mean, if you can look at it both ways. Yeah, he probably thinks that, you know, he, there, he has no help. He needs to do everything. He needs to do too much. He has to be a leader. He has to lead the team to a win. But he's done the same thing for the last four games. So which one is it? I mean, is this just what you get with him, or is he trying to do too much? Really, is it an excuse, or is it a real, you know, reality that he's trying to do too much? Well, when I, I don't when know. I when I posed that question, I guess I should have made myself clear. I guess I was looking at this as a whole, a five-game sample size, and what I can take away from it, what I think is frustrating about this is that you're 100% right. He doesn't have talent around him, but we knew that going in. Injuries aside, I mean, we lost our number one in the first half of the first game. Uh, he certainly had a rapport with Cephas. That's no longer an option. Um, but when I say, is he trying to do too much? It, it's confusing to me because at times, everyone in the stands, everyone on TV, everyone on the sideline is screaming for him to throw it away, and he doesn't. And then he'll have something open shallow, and he throws it away or he takes a sack. It's just he, he he's not as cerebral as I thought he might be. Yeah, and I, I disagree with the whole Jared Goff trying to do too much. And the only reason I say that is because we have a run game right now. We're proving that we have a run game. Yeah, we don't have a 100-yard rusher per se, but we're having over 100 yards rushing per game. And our running backs are doing their part. They're averaging almost five, 4.5 yards a carry. I mean, that's, that's great. That's what you want. If we did not have a run game and Jared Goff is throwing picks and making dumb mistakes left and right, I would say, okay, maybe he is trying to do too much, but we have, we have some strength here. We are, the offensive line is playing pretty well in the run department and our running backs are, are the, are the special part of our offense right now. And Jared Goff, even with a run game, he's still making mistakes. You know, you don't, you're not trying to do too much when you fumble the ball six times in the season, you lead the league in fumbles. You know, this is now he's got what six fumbles and three picks. He's got nine turnovers already on the year. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think he's trying to do too much. I'm just thinking he's, we're just not that good. And I just don't know if he's the guy, he's not that special of a player that can be special on this team. So armed with that information, armed with the fact that he is fumbling the ball under center, he's fumbling the ball out of the shotgun, he's throwing stupid interceptions, and that our run game is formidable, why aren't we running the ball more? Let's so let's talk. I, I want to mention that I think that the that the that the run game and the short pass game look strong early on, but you know, this game script was weird because they got away from that a little bit, but they weren't getting blown out. You know, sometimes when you're getting blown out, you got to look down the field, you got to get uh, chunk yardage. But 
But when these things look good, it seems like every damn week we we eventually abandon that run. It's like when you're playing Madden and, and you get pass happy and you realize that you've that you passed the ball nine or ten times in a row. We have two strong runners. We abandon that run. And in the sense of is Goff trying to do too much, maybe we need to reframe that and look at the fact that I think we're asking Goff to do too much with the, the way that they're calling these games. But let's 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 talk about since we're we're hailing the running game here, let's talk about DeAndre Swift for a minute. Kind of trying to blast through some of these notes here. I'm not you know, alerting the media. I'm not saying anything that, that most everybody doesn't know, but he's good and he's getting stronger. He's knock on wood. He's staying healthy, which is hard for this, for this roster to do right now. Um, he's more of an all round back than I thought he was. Does anybody want to chime in on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. He, you know, when we drafted Deandre Swift, I knew he was a good player, but he's, he's looking different to me. I, you know, I don't, I hate throwing around the term he's special, you know, where he's the the best back in the league. I don't know if he's there yet or in that tier yet, but man, he, he's certainly surprising me with like how you said he can do it all. He can be an all purpose back if we, if we really need him to be, and you would like him to see more, get more carries or more touches, but at the same time, he almost had 20 touches on the game and Jamal Williams is still playing very well. The biggest thing to me is there's two instances, obviously the, the, the tying touchdown or the touchdown to keep us within two points, they gave it to Deandre Swift. And then also a drive towards the end of the game on a pass he made, he totally, he didn't juke the guy. He knocked the guy out of his cleats and that I, I love seeing that. It just shows me that he, when he's in the open field, he's not afraid to hit. And he'll surprise you. And man, that was, I just, that was my favorite play of the game, actually. So I just, I just, I think I love DeAndre Swift. I think he can be a potentially special player for us going forward. I just wanted to add also, like, I think he is our like lone ray, you know, ray of light right now that we have on the team. His potential and us having him here, you know, locked down for a couple more years. He's young. He's going to grow. I think that's the one, you know, standout that we're going to see every week. You know, he's going to he's gonna put up these numbers every week. He's only going to get better. But I do want to add on the note of why um, we think the offense is turning to more pass and rush is you got to look at the score, basically. I mean, we can't – we get down in so many games that we got to go away from the run. We have, like, no option to. We still try to run it here and there. But at the point where we're down 10, 20, 30 points – we have no 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 option to start passing because we got to try to come back. So that's what what's affecting them, and they're still putting up good yards in those scenarios. But imagine if we had the lead or if we were in a close game, those numbers would probably double or triple every week. Well, look at last night on Monday Night Football, and it's a I think it's an apt comparison because you know going back to the to DeAndre Swift's draft class, I was super high on Jonathan Taylor. I wasn't the only one. But coming out of that combine and going in that draft, if we were going to take a running back, I I really still am not certain that it shouldn't have been uh, Jonathan Taylor. And to everyone's surprise, Indianapolis led that game right up till the bitter end. It was very similar to to um, you know what happened to us when we played Baltimore. 
But take away that one chunk play where he had 80, uh, 70 or 80 yard reception, they were able to set the pace with Jonathan Taylor, you know, and to go back to what Bob said, not so much with this Minnesota game because it was low scoring and it was relatively close the whole time. But as a whole, uh, we, we can't use him or any of our run options as like a pace setting clock chewing um, type run game here, because mostly we are playing from behind. So like, again, the Minnesota game wasn't the best example of that, but overall uh, I think that, that he is an all-purpose back that can chew clock, that can, you know, average four and a half, five yards of carry, but it's just, it hasn't been able to play itself out that way. Speaking um, of that uh, Baltimore game on Monday night, did you guys hear what Steve Levy said after the game? I did. What a son of a bitch, huh? <laughs> he pretty much said the Indiana, Indianapolis Colts were, were lioned. <laughs> Yeah, we've we've developed losing into such a, a an amazing art form that it's its own uh, adjective now. <laughs> <laughs> When's the thirty for thirty coming? That's what I'm waiting for. About the Lions, period. Yeah, we need a. You're right, Bob. We need a thirty for thirty about the curse, about SOL. I mean, it'd be a great, uh, great two hour story. So, where do you start that at? Do you start that with like the Bobby Lane trade? Do you start yes. that with the Millen era? You start it with Bobby Lane. The curse Start of winning Lane. championships and then trading them. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. Uh, I, I'll we could talk a lot more about this off air because it's probably not that interesting. But there is a really good uh, YouTube video that's like forty five minutes long, made by a guy from Detroit that was raised as a Lions fan, and he basically just walks around the city to different barber shops, different tailgate locations, different noteworthy famous bars, if you will, and just kind of interviews random people throughout the city about what it's like to be a Lions fan. And uh, it's not some cheesy throwaway YouTube video. It's very, very good production quality. Uh, I believe the backdrop is that the dude was having a son. His wife was pregnant. He was trying to decide if he wanted to raise him to be a Lions fan or not. Um, I can, uh, I can try to find that. Maybe I can post a clip when we post this episode, but it, it was pretty interesting. Sticking with the offense, we already talked about, Penny Sewell getting manhandled a little bit by Everson Griffin. Uh, the two things that I wanted to circle back to is, of course, it was Everson Griffin, right? Would, was anyone surprised by that? Talking about, like, same old Lions getting lionized. I mean, of course he was going to have his, his way with them, right? Yeah, I mean, this is it's, it's, we've seen this before. It's a guy that's been with a team, with a team for so long, was successful, leaves the team, has problems in Dallas, has problems in Detroit, goes back to the team. And of course, when he plays one of his old teams, he's got a monster game and he looks like his old self, you know, you know, again, it's Penny Sewell. Yeah. I know he was a high draft pick. He's 20 years old. He's in a tough spot. He's looked, he's played very, very well for the, the, for being a rookie at 20 and being the left tackle. But I think now we're seeing, He's a rookie. We're seeing this. He's he's going to have his ups and downs this year. And this is and we talked about it a few episodes ago. I think we maybe had a little bit of a debate about it, but it was about what is what do we do with Penne when Decker comes back? And now I think it's more apparent than ever. Pen and I think we pretty much agreed to it after our debate. But Penne will go back to right tackle, and Decker will be the left tackle again. I think it's more apparent than now. But again, in the future. 
I believe the plan is still for Penny to be the left tackle of the future, just not right now. Now, let me just pose it this way. Does it bother you that he got manhandled? Because in my impression, it was bound to happen, right? We've been riding high and um, very pleased with, with his output thus far, but this was bound to happen. It was just kind of comical that it was Everson Griffin, former Viking, former Lion, that, that did this to him. Um, but it, it doesn't bother me in the least that he got manhandled. Do you, do you hate to see an older guy on the downside of his career get two sacks in a row basically using the same move? Yes, but it's bound to happen. These are kind of the rookie growing pains that we thought we were going to see right out of the gates, and, and it's been a pleasant surprise that – that we haven't. So I'm not terribly, I'm sorry to stutter. I'm not terribly worried about anything um, that we saw out of, out of Penny. Bob? No. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I'm good with it happening now while we're having a season like we knew we're going to have and while he's a rookie and he's learning, it's better for these things to happen now so we can learn from him and build on him. He's so young still, you know, things like this need to happen to him to make him a better player. So by this happening, it in my eyes is a good thing right now because it's going to be a different if we're down the road, we have a winning record. We're actually playing for somebody who's doing things like this. So, you know, while we have the down season, he's a rookie, he's learning. I think that this is the best case scenario for him now and he'll learn from it and only get better. Yeah, 100% agree. It doesn't bother me. I agree. I'd rather have him go through this now than, you know, a couple of years from now if we can develop something here. And also, you know, there's a reason why they were putting him at right tackle. In a way, they were kind of protecting him. They they need him to be exposed in the NFL. I mean, let's be real here. You know, last year, uh, Tristan Wurst, you know, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was a rookie right tackle that didn't give up a sack all year and that he got praised for that. Penny Sewell's in a totally different position right now. You know, he's playing, he's playing the spot. He's playing the main spot. He's playing that left tackle spot. And he just couldn't hold up the type of play he was playing to start the year. It just, it just wasn't going to happen. And it's important to know too, that Tristan Wurst, who slid down in the draft much further than anyone thought he would, uh, went to Tampa Bay, right? Yeah. I mean, he's playing the, one of the best offenses in the league. You know, right. I think totally, if, totally different scenario. Yeah. I think if you had Tom Brady in the Detroit Lions backfield, we would probably be four and one right now. And uh, he would know how to get the ball out of there. And Brady might not fumble it, and like you said, he'll throw it away. Exactly. Yeah. But talk about <laughs> talk about cerebral. It doesn't get much more cerebral than Tom Brady. You know, you know what? The- with Peyton Manning's forehead, you would think that he would be the more cerebral uh, QB. But Brady, <laughs> Brady's sure something to watch. You know, what's funny, Hitch. How did you know that worst slipped that far? I think we watched that together at your house, didn't we? No, we did. We had a draft pool where you had to put the picks in of the guys who were getting drafted right before they got drafted. I've never, i never heard of worse before that draft. And me and you put him in there for like 10 straight picks because we thought he was going to go. <laughs> and he slipping and slipping and slipping. I, That's a- I, I do remember that. And I'll let you say it. And I think when I finally said, screw this, I'm not putting worse in anymore. I, I selected, he plugged in someone else and then he got drafted, right? He got drafted. Yep. Exactly. That's, I- uh, that's a name I'll never forget now. I, I couldn't believe he slipped because Worfs is just one of those classic Iowa offensive linemen. You know, I have a rule. If you, if there's any Iowa offensive lineman that's eligible to be drafted, I think you can take them. 
And I believe I mocked one this year to the Lions in the later rounds because sometimes you just can't go wrong with certain schools. I think it's fairly Same safe to say if you see an Iowa tight end out there, you take them, right? Yeah. Well, lately. Right. All right. So moving on here, um, I don't have anything else really in my notes about the offense. Does anyone have anything briefly to say before we move on to the defense? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's look at the defense. Um, my first note, just in my rewatch of this in preparation for the show, just my very first note, no particular order here though, in importance or anything, but, um, Justin Jefferson had his way with us, huh? Yeah, he did. Um, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Uh, you know, we kind of touched on this last week. We knew this Vikings offense could be, be very potent and Justin Jefferson proved that he is, uh, phenomenal receiver and an up and coming receiver and might be one of the best receivers uh, of the next 10 years going forward. I will say though um, that we kind of handled them in the second half. You know, I know Justin Jefferson, I think he had about seven catches for roughly 120 yards. I believe five of those was on Oriware who just, who it was just a tough matchup for him. Uh, It's again, he's, he's being forced to play in this position due to all the injuries and he's constantly getting the top corner. And he, it was his turn again to, to take on Justin Jefferson. But again, in the second half, Justin Jefferson only had two catches. So I have to give the defense as a whole credit for making the adjustments and taking him out of the game. And let me back up and and give credit where credit is due, because when we, set out to do this podcast, we kind of talked about the idea that we don't want to just harp on SOL. We don't want to be such a negative presence. There's enough of that out there. Something that we're seeing from this 0-5 team in this very young um, kind of innovative coaching staff, it it hasn't worked itself out to be a win yet, but they are able to make adjustments. And that is just something that we have not seen in Detroit, probably since Jim Schwartz, right? With with the ability to go in at halftime and evaluate what just happened and, and make some changes. Right. And this, this was polarized by the two, the two catch half of, of Justin Jefferson. Um, but I would say in every game, disregarding the outcome, this team is able to adjust or this staff is able to work with the team to, to make an adjustment. So again, just credit where credit is due. Let's, let's try to remember that we want to accentuate the positives too. Yeah, and to add to that, to be honest, besides the Packers game, they had they had a chance of winning every game that they played so far. You know, they were in it. A couple of mistakes got them out of it. They fought back. Even the 49ers, they were down so much, but they didn't they didn't have to be down so much. It was stupid mistakes again, but they still made a comeback. You know, Vikings they should have won. Bears they should have won. Ravens they should have won. So really, they were in every game, and they're still fighting, which is good. And I, mean, I guess that's all we can ask for right now, right? Not not to get ahead of us here, but because um, we will talk about this later, but I think the fact that they're able to fight and be competitive and not give up and have the, that drive to win, if you will, that directly led to what we saw in the, the post-game press conference with Dan Campbell. But again, I don't want to talk about that now. I just wanted to make the point that, that – uh, to echo what Bob just said, his sentiment that they are, it is a different team. And, and I see a culture shift already. And that's what led to this publicized press conference. But let's, let's save that for later. 
Yeah, and I just want to say as a as a whole too for the defensive side of the ball, I was I was I was pleased again. You know, I was I was pleased in the Baltimore game. I was a little upset in the Chicago game now, but I'm pleased again in, in this game in Minnesota with an offense like they have. I think they they handled everything fairly well, and I think the defense as a whole played pr- played pretty well, especially the the front seven. You know, the, the defensive line, I think our two rookies, you had Levi and McNeil, they didn't play a lot, but they they showed that they could play and they could handle some certain situations. And then I think our linebacking core as a whole played very well again. I thought, you know, Trey Flowers had a, had a great game, had a big sack at the start of the half. He was rushing the pass rusher. He was in on a lot of plays. Alex Anzalone, I thought he had another, another pretty good game, uh, considering he's the guy on the field for every play. He's making the calls on the field. He had a big interception, thanks to Tracy Walker, who had a, a phenomenal game. But a tip ball that Anzalone had the heads-up play to make the pick. He also had a couple stops, great pursuits at the line of scrimmage to stop the run. Jalen Reeves-Maven, you know, I might have been a little wrong on him at first. I know uh, with the big question you asked me during the preseason hitch was if you had to make a decision, is it uh, Tavai or Maven? And I said, I keep Maven. Uh, but I did not think that Maven could – uh, handle this defensive role that he's handling right now. I really like what he's been able to do. I think he's actually outplaying Barnes for the most part. I do like the fact that they're inner switching Maven and Barnes in between series. I like how they're kind of getting them both in the game and both involved in certain situations. And obviously Maven had another big play. He caused that fumble to, at the end of the game to give us a chance to, to go up ahead. So you got to give them props. Again, uh, as a whole, though, I thought that we handled the run pretty well. Alexander Matheson had a good game. Maven did give up the catch on the touchdown. And then obviously, you know, I think the numbers are a little bit inflated. You know, Matheson had about 120 yards rushing or something like that. But one of those plays was a 50-yard run. You take that run away, he's got about 60, 65 yards rushing. And I think – and that's on 25, 24 carries – but it was just a broken play. The rookie Derek Barnes missed the tackle in the backfield and then he was gone. There's just nothing you can do about it. But, you know, I, I can't, this wasn't the defense's fault. I know they they gave up a couple big passes to end the game, but we've seen that before. It happens to a lot of teams, but I think the defense is what kept us in this game for sure. So that basically covered everything that, that I kind of put down on paper here. Uh, to make sure that we talked about, you know, offensive defensively, but let's just wrap this up by talking about who we kind of think the winners and losers were. Obviously we thought that Swift had a great game. Uh, Run game was strong. Offensive line looked okay. Uh, But defensively, I, I kind of put in my notes that flowers uh, Harrison Walker really stood out. And, and before we go around the horn here, I'll tell you why I think, why I think so. Uh, Flowers just simply because he was in the game, right? And I believe he recorded half a sack, which which isn't really anything to write home about and certainly not, quote-unquote, earning his pay at this point. But to to see him on the field and to see him disrupting and, and to have him on the stat sheet was great. That's as simple as I can put it. Um, Charles Harris, offseason acquisition, we've talked about him before as a standout. He was disruptive. He was kind of all over the place. He was playing in the run. He was giving a little bit of pressure. Uh, you know, we weren't able to generate as much pressure 
this week as we were in previous weeks. But, you know, for, for what it's worth, when you're getting your name mentioned on TV and you're seeing 53 flying around the screen, you got to mention it. I think he had a really nice game. And then Walker, I think we can all talk about that hit that he delivered, I believe, in the fourth quarter, right? That was just kind of one of those moments that gave you the chills, kind of those those moments that we wait for. And in relation to Tracy Walker, that's that's something that I think we all thought uh, that we would see more out of. But surprising enough, uh, I, I saw a stat, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be completely honest, I didn't even read the whole article, but I believe over the last few weeks, PFF, which we, we talk about frequently, has him graded as, I believe, the second best safety in the league over like a three-game stretch. So it, things like that get lost on an 0-5 team. Things like that get lost when you're um, enduring these back-to-back kind of heartbreaking losses. Uh, but credit where credit is due again, Tracy Walker looked looked really good. So let's go around. Uh, Ronnie, why don't you kind of expand on some of that? Yeah, I know. I agree. I, I, I touched on some of the guys already. I'll, I'll, I'll re- repeat the names again, but I agree with you, Hitch. I thought Tracy Walker was probably the best player on the field for us on Sunday. It was probably his best game. Oh, well, I know it was his best game all year. It might have been one of his better games as a Lion throughout his career. Uh, again, I didn't mention him earlier, but I agree with you. Charles Harris uh, had another sack. Uh, I think that's three sacks in three games now in a row for him since he's been filling in more. I did think he had a bullshit penalty called on him on, on Kirk Cousins there. I believe that was in the first half, but it is what it is. But I thought he played well. Trey Flowers, again, I thought he was in on a lot of plays, had the sack. Uh, for the linebackers, again, I thought Alex Anzalone played very well. Uh, he had the big interception off the tip ball from Tracy Walker. Very heads-up play. Great pursuit all game. Met the, uh, met the running back at the line of scrimmage several times. Jalen Reeves-Maven, again is uh, showing up, making plays, causing a fumble to, to give us a chance to stay in the game. So those were kind of some of my 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 favorite players that I thought played really well. I thought A.J. Parker also had a, a very good game as well, in on a lot of tackles, made some heads-up plays out there. And I mentioned him earlier, Oriware. You know, I'm, I am a fan of him personally. I kind of talk him up a lot. Um, but, you know, I know he got burned a uh, quite a bit in the first half there, but I thought he responded pretty well in the second half. And again, in that first half, he almost had another interception. I think that would have been three interceptions in a row for him. He had the tip ball. He just couldn't get back to make the play himself. And unfortunately, no one else was in the area to help him make that interception very much like the Tracy Walker Anzalone play. But um, you just, you know, he's got a tough role in this defense right now. And, you know, I thought he's just got to hang in there, but those are my kind of favorite players throughout the game or who I thought played the well, but Tracy Walker above and beyond is looking like he is looking like the safety. We all wanted him to be when we drafted him a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Like again, not to, to be redundant, but it was just great to see him step up and, and to make a play, to make a bone shivering play like that. Now, do I want to see that maybe momentum gathered from that equate or, or evolve into some turnovers? Absolutely. Do I want to see him uh, get his nose up in the run game a little bit more? Yeah, but this all continually just goes back to game script. You know, you, you have some playmakers on both sides of the ball, but you can't always utilize them the way that, that we all want to, uh, to see it happen, right? So that touches on everything that I think we really wanted to cover uh, but before we move on, just like 
just like sticking to our format here. Anything else um, anyone else wants to bring up before we talk about the obvious uh, press conference here? I just wanted to say that obviously we lost on a, a 50 plus yard field goal to end the game. And I think we have to mention it that with that loss on a 50, I think it was a 54 yard field goal to end the game with no time left. The Lions officially made history. They are the first team to lose on game winning field goals of plus 50 yards with no time left on the clock twice in a single season. Obviously, that happened against Baltimore with a 66-yard field goal, no time left on the clock. And now it happens against the Minnesota Vikings, a 54-yard field goal with no time on the clock. It's just only us, right? Truly amazing. Yep, for sure. I saw that stat today. It's record-setting, so it's worth mentioning. But could, to be completely honest, if, if we can find a spectacular way to lose, we'll do it. Uh, it honestly was surprising uh, to me that that was record-setting because if you look back – over time, there's just been so many soul-crushing defeats that uh, that it's hard to imagine that that hasn't happened to us already. You know, you're right. I, I I felt like that's happened to us multiple times. I was kind of shocked by hearing that stat. So I let's, think that sorry, at this Bob. point, nothing. I think at this point, nothing surprises me anymore. Really, I think we've just about seen it all. I mean, what else can really happen? Be careful with saying I mean, that I'm, because right when you say I that. Know. <laughs> I want to say that because I'm interested to see what else could happen at this point. I guess before we talk about the uh, the presser that got so much attention here, um, let me just throw this at you guys, kind of off the cuff. Who's the worst zero and five team? Is it Detroit or is it Jacksonville? Jacksonville. Ooh. Bob. Mm. Ah, Detroit. I think Detroit. Why? I think Jacksonville already has some bigger pieces in place with what they got in the draft and people they already have on their team. I think their defense is better. I think the receivers are 100 times better, and they have so many of them. I think their problem is a rookie quarterback and bad coaching, where we have good coaching, but not all the pieces we need. I just want to say the Jacksonville Jaguars did lose to the Houston Texans, 37 to 21. Fair to note, fair to note for sure. And but the Houston um, Texans also just lost to the Patriots on a last minute field. That's the NFL. I, I'll agree on some of the pieces that you said, but I think the biggest thing, and we can go more into this uh, when we talk about the press conference the more thing is, is, is coaching right now. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah. You're not good. You're not going to win with Urban Meyer. That's where my head is at. That's where my head is at is that, that you have to talk about what happens behind the scenes. We've been talking about a culture shift here in Detroit for what feels like the last 30 years. Um, And we're starting to feel that groundswell. We're starting to feel that happen. And uh, uncle Herb is not built for the NFL. But let me ask one real quick question. Let's not go on and on about it. We're going to move on. But in your minds right now, who's the better quarterback, Goff or Lawrence? Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And that comes down to like the age old cliche saying of floor and ceiling. And when you're looking at floor and ceiling and looking at moving forward in a, a rebuild stage, it has to be Trevor Lawrence. 
I, I also think our defense is better too. I don't, I don't think Jacksonville's defense is that good. Um, but you want to you talk about pieces on offense, running back wise, DeAndre Swift, James Robinson. I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to say. Quarterback wise, you know, you got a rookie quarterback versus Jared Goff. I would rather have the rookie quarterback. Receivers, obviously, we we have we have nothing, you know. Um, and then obviously we have TJ Hawkinson. And then I think our offensive line is better too. So there's the offense is kind of tick for tack there, but I do think our defense is better. Well, and in, in a rebuild, you can't discount how valuable how valuable it is to have a solid offensive line, right? They have Chenault, who is leaps and bounds better than any wide receiver on this roster. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence has the high ceiling. Robinson is kind of another do-it-all kind of guy. But the coaching staff, and like Ronnie just so aptly said, the, the offensive line in a rebuild to have that in place. I mean, I hate to say it, but this is what Dallas did. We hate Dallas. We don't like to talk about Dallas, but look at how many high draft picks Dallas spent on offensive line and passed up on some some really good players in this league to get that those cornerstones in place. And now Dallas, they're Dallas, and they're forced on our throat, and we hate them, and we hate that they're always on TV, but they they rebuilt correctly. Since you brought them up, Hitch, fuck the Cowboys. <laughs> Cheers. Fuck the NFC East for that matter. Fuck them all. But any, anyways, we're, we're doing what we do every week. We always say we're going to keep it short and we're not going to harp on anything. And now we're doing it again. So let's, let's get to the press conference, right? Arguably this is the hottest topic uh, from, from this week. Again, it's been blowing up on Twitter, not just locally, but nationally. Uh, national pundits are weighing in just like they did on our heartbreaking uh, loss to Baltimore. I guess I'll, I'll take the chance to kind of start by saying I had to think about this a little bit over the, the last few days. Um, kind of vacillated back and forth between like years of a, of a clown and like Braveheart battle speech, right? Like, is he William <laughs> Wallace with the, with the uh, blue paint on and the, the thundering steed trying to fire everybody up? Does he, is he really that passionate? Or is he lionized? And what I've kind of settled on is that Dan Campbell leaves nothing to the imagination, right? He wears his heart on his sleeve and he's nothing if not genuine. And I think when you are this draconian um, personality that he's kind of cultivated and he can come out and be that genuine with us, he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's invested in this team. He believes in these guys. Uh, and things like this is what's going to give us a shot in free agency. There's going to be guys that are retread guys or, or high-level tier two guys that are going to come here because they want to get in on what's going on, right? That Not just a payday for some of these guys. They want to be somewhere where they're appreciated. We said before that the NFL is such a – a weird thing because it's, it's, you know, millionaires being controlled by billionaires and it's adult men trying to, to coach around and, and, and talk down in some sense to other adult men. It's a very weird thing. And when you can get uh, a guy like Campbell that just seems so invested and so genuine 
that's so hard to come by, especially on the heels of the Patricia regime where he would have just downplayed this all and made the press feel stupid and, and, um, and refused to answer questions kind of Belichickian. Um, it's just a nice change of pace in my, in my opinion. So what do you guys, what did you guys think of that? We've had a few days to kind of chew the fat on this. I like what you said there, Hitch. I never thought about it um, in a free agent way. That's a real, real good point with players seeing his passion and seeing his determination and maybe wanting to come here to fight for somebody who cares. I thought it more of as I don't think this is showing him as lionized in any way at all. I think that it shows like that he cares about the team. He cares about his players. His passion is so big that he also wants to do is get a win for these players and this team because the team is doing everything he asks. They're putting in the work. They're working their ass off for this man, and they're not getting results. And I think his like it just destroyed him this week. That once again we lose, we we basically win the game, and then we lose with 30 seconds left on a field goal again. I just think it just his it crushed his heart. I think that he doesn't. He's trying to find a way to win for these guys that are working so hard for him, and then these kind of things just keep happening and happening and happening. Well, this this is Dan Campbell, right? Dan Campbell is the extreme. He will be the guy that's he's a rah-rah guy. He's the guy at the press conference that's getting us all pumped up as fans, talking about punching people in the mouth and biting kneecaps off. But he's also the guy that's going to be crying during a press conference after a tough loss. You know, I you know, a lot of the things that happened here throughout the year and you know, our friends and the and the forum will ask us questions individually and People kept asking me since Sunday, like, are you surprised by this? I'm not surprised at all. He's a former player. This is how he was as a player. I'm sure this is not the first time Dan Campbell has cried after a game. I'm sure he's done that plenty of times. All right. Another thing I was asked is, do you like it? And I mean, I'm a little indifferent towards it. Do I want to see my head coach of the team that I follow cry? Not really. (laughs) You know, I don't want to see that. Do I, do I think it's bad for the team? No, I don't. This isn't little league. This isn't like high school where your players are going to look bad at you or think down of you because you're crying in public or something like that. These are professional athletes that they all go through the grind together. They're a family. And this, they, I think this is going to bring them more together than anything. Another thing that people were asking me as well is, oh man, or, or they were saying to me is I feel bad for Dan. I feel bad for Dan. I don't feel bad for Dan Campbell at all. He's the head coach. He's making millions of dollars. He's 0-5. So what? We've been Lions fans our whole life. He's been a Lion now for a couple of months now, you know? So, you know, it's the start. It's the start of a new regime. You know, we just got to hope he can get through this. A lot of people are also worried that, hey, he's 0-5. What's going to happen when we're 0-12 or 1-13 or 1-16 or whatever it is? And I don't, I don't, I'm not too worried about that because like I said, this is just him. You're going to have the highs and you're going to have the lows and he's going to show you every little bit of it, you know, and, and that's just, that's just who he is. And like I said, I'm just, I don't, I'm indifferent towards him crying, but I don't think it's going to hurt the team. I think the players are going to like it. And I do agree with you, Hitch. I think certain players are going to say, you know what, I want to play for this guy. And I think it can help us too, in a way. I definitely don't think that it hurt us and it just doubles down on the fact that, that he 
potentially after five weeks and uh, what we were able to see in the offseason as well, he is potentially the most genuine person in the NFL, right? He'll put his foot in his mouth. He'll say something that isn't polished, that isn't uh, calculated, but you know what you're going to get. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't as fired up as everybody was with the biting kneecaps press conference, uh, to be completely honest with you. What, yeah, what yeah. I, I mean, it was cool to hear someone come out and <laughs> what, what I took away from that is this guy's going to tell us how it is. He's going to, he's going to tell us what he's thinking. He's going to say what he wants to say, but my snap reaction to that before I had time to think about the whole introductory press conference was, I don't know if I'm super fired up for us making headlines this way, you know, um, I kind of, because that Dan Campbell hire, you know, thinking back to when it happened, it was kind of out of left field a little bit. We knew he came in for an interview. Everybody really thought that this was Robert Sala's job to have, um, I'll tell you that that after a few days to think about this and a long time to ruminate on the whole, uh, you know, Motor City Dan biting kneecap press conference, I would rather be talking about something like this, to be completely honest. And, and maybe that's just my personal preference. I don't like the flair. I don't like the WWF kind of shit. I'm, I'm more fired up by this. Well, Hitch, you're also the same guy that cried during the Green Mile after the first time you viewed it. So I'm not surprised that you would be fired up by this. Now but you say you say after the first time I viewed it. I've I've watched that film many times subsequently, and I, I cry every time. <laughs> well, but, um, I would like to also add the movie Draft Day. He cries every time. Oh, well, beautiful! I mean, beautiful. how can you watch a Kevin Costner movie without crying? Either good reason or bad reasons, but he gives you a reason to cry. Yeah, but I, I, but to your point, Hitch, I don't mind seeing it. Um, I'd obviously rather have us being pumped up after a win, and him. I, I would rather have him saying, "I want to punch people in the mouth." That that's what I want to see because it's fun to see. Um, but you know, just back to this kind of the character that Dan Campbell is. We've this isn't really the first time we've seen this. You know, I I think we have seen this before, maybe not to this extreme in a way. But Jim Schwartz was very much like this, you know, about 10 years ago or so. And we saw a lot from Jim Schwartz, maybe not so much in the press conferences. He would say some funny stuff here and there. He'd get an attitude with some people. But we saw a lot of emotion and a lot of highs and lows of Jim Schwartz on the sidelines. You know, we saw him throwing headsets, breaking headsets and wins and losses. We saw him flipping off the fans. We saw him trying to fight Jim Harbaugh. So I'm. this isn't like a new thing for us, to me at least, because I think We've seen this type of, of raw emotion before, but, um, and honestly, that was in the past and my entire childhood, besides the Barry years and or growing up or whatever, the Jim Schwartz years were my favorite years. Cause we were actually on the rise. We had a, a the first overall pick. We made the playoffs and three years after going 0 16, let's just hope we can have some success in Dan Campbell's era here going forward. Cause I think, if we do make the playoffs with Dan Campbell, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And I agree with this. You know, the only, I see a kind of a difference though in the Jim Schwartz era now, like for the first time, in my opinion, now I can kind of see a direction the team is going where, yeah, they're kind of like the same coach, but the Schwartz era, I guess we can say we're always rebuilding, but were we really like for the first time ever, we can kind of see what, 
what their vision is. And their vision is not for this year, next year. I think their vision is for two, three years down the road, you know, three years down the road. And 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 starting this year, they're doing it right. So, you know, if you've got people asking what's going to happen if they go 0-16, are they going to fire him? Like, just shoot that talk down. He's not going anywhere. I, I think this is the plan all along to give him at least three, four years to see what we can do to build it from the ground up. So he started this year with the line, offense and defensive. I think next year he goes, you know, a little bit more defense and some weapons on offense. So we're using draft picks and free agents. And three years from now, we actually have a real team that he can coach where Jim Swartz came into a coach and they kind of are into a team that they really didn't do it the right way. They try to get, you know, big name free agents or bring people in, but there was really no vision that I saw in the Swartz era at all. He just took a team over and ran with it. And I mean, I guess they are the same person as like the way they do things and how they fire each other up. But, for some reason, this Dan Campbell just seems different to me. And what's happening now seems a lot different than what happened back then. Well, the, the comparison is really just the how they're raw. They're raw emotional right. guys. You know, you can't I – don't, I don't think the regimes are very um, – you can't compare them. Obviously, everything's different. But they're, the comparison is that they're both raw. They both show emotion. And I think it's going to be fun. This is the it's, – yeah. it's going to be fun again, I think, going forward. You know, and, and, you know, and also I'm a, I'm a Jim Schwartz guy. I just have to get my two cents in there, but he took over an Owen 16 team. You know, this is, this is no one's had to ever do that at that point in the NFL history. And he brought him to the playoffs in a few years, Dan Campbell, you could, you could argue he's taken over a terrible team. They could have very easily been Owen 16, Owen 16 in the Patricia era. So, but I just got to give credit where credit's due, but I will say, though, I would much rather be talking about Dan Campbell right now than be talking about Uncle Herb or John Gruden. So these are <laughs> these are all these are all positives. I think we just have to even though we're 0 and 5, that these are these are positives still in a way we can make this into a positive where you can't make the Gruden led Raiders and you can't make the Uncle Herb stuff into a positive right now. Well, and I will, I will say kind of by way of closing here, um, you know, I'm a Jim Schwartz fan too. I like the guy. He, he left here and he ran some pretty stout defenses and he was a character in and of itself. Um, but I, I have heard, and I don't want to like, you know, besmirch anybody or say anything that isn't true, but just kind of the, to, to echo the sentiment that we've all kind of heard about Jim Schwartz much after the fact is that he was intense. He was raw. Uh, he put a decent product on the field, but I guess he wasn't that nice of a guy from, from things that I've heard and I've read that he kind of talked down to people. He kind of uh, minimized some, some marginalized, I should say some people in that organization. Uh, I, I firmly believe after five games and, and what we were able to see in the off season that Dan Campbell will shed tears of joy for the water boy, if it was warranted. Right. Uh, again, it just goes back to him being a, a genuine person thus far. I think that he's going to celebrate the accomplishments. He's going to, he's going to grieve the losses and the failures, and he's going to take responsibility for that. I don't necessarily think that we would have seen Jim Schwartz responding the way that, that MCDC does. So, so the comparison is there. You have to be able to make that comparison because arguably they're, they're the most interesting 
uh, coaches that we've had, but there's definitely some pronounced differences as well. Well, yeah, Jim Schwartz was a prick. I mean, he, he's from the Bill Belichick tree. I mean, that's nothing that's expected, right? I mean, they're all they're all kind of that way coming from his his crew. But also, I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. You know, would you rather be reading about Dan Campbell crying that his team lost and he's going to do whatever he can to fight for this team and fight for his players and produce a win for the city and for the fans? Or would you rather be reading about Uncle Herb not flying home with his team after a loss? So he could go stink finger some chick at a bar, you know, I mean, what are we, what are we, this is, this is crazy. I mean, any negative press that Dan Campbell gets, I think it's kind of garbage. I don't think you can bash the guy or anything like that when you have uncle Herb doing what he's doing. So I, I mean, I don't, again, I mean, it's not to say I don't like it, but I'm indifferent towards it. But I, again, this is not going to hurt Dan Campbell one bit. No, it's unorthodox for sure. The, the headline is unorthodox, but we, I would much rather be in, in the position that we are in now from a coaching standpoint. Uh, yeah, Uncle Herb is not impressing anybody. But again, with Herb, not, not to start a whole other uh, storyline here, but again with Herb, you expected this. If you didn't expect this out of Urban Meyer, you're an idiot, right? It's the same way that we, we should expect this out of Dan Campbell. We knew that Dan Campbell was going to – was going to put his foot in his mouth at times. We know that he's going to cry at a press conference. That doesn't surprise anybody. The same that it shouldn't surprise anybody that Urban Meyer is a complete narcissist, right? A complete shit show. How many times is that guy going to embarrass his wife in public and embarrass his family in public? And how many times is he going to run, uh, you know, these these dysfunctional type teams? So I tell you what, I would I would never shake Urban Meyer's hand after what he did. But screw um, <laughs> that. But I also, yeah, John, I mean, and John Gruden, Hitch, to your point, I mean, this is, I mean, this is a guy that had he said terrible things. You know, he said terrible things. I don't care if it was 10 years ago, whatever. I, that's a whole different topic. But bottom line is he said a lot of terrible stuff and it came out. And now you have someone's credibility on the line, right? Where Dan Campbell's credibility is not on the line or, or he cares too much, you know, whatever, you know, but that's why I would, I am so happy that we have Dan Campbell in comparison to a lot of other coaches that are out there. I couldn't agree with you more. And just to touch on um, the John Gruden stuff, since you brought it up, um, I don't look at that as part of cancel culture. I don't look at what happened to him as um, an overreaction or the pendulum swinging too far before it corrects itself. He said some absolutely reprehensible things. It doesn't matter to me that it was 10 years ago. He said it, he said it in print. He said it on a, um, a work email, if you will. Um, and just because it was 10 years ago, doesn't mean that you shouldn't face the consequences, right? It was kind of weird, a roundabout way that these emails were unearthed. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that, that you you can't get away with things like that. And that to me is not part of cancel culture. That is somebody facing a consequence. Well, bottom line, I mean, you can say what you want about cancel culture and it's, it's not really a debate about cancel culture. Um, I mean, in my opinion, cancel culture, whether it is or not, it doesn't have a place in this argument only because he said what he said. Yes, it was 10 years ago. That's fine. He, but he said what he said, but how is he after what he said is going to go back and coach a team with a bunch of African-Americans, how I use insensitive slurs. And then he has the first active 
you know, gay player on the roster. How, how do you come back and coach a team like that? I, I just don't think you can. And I, and I think, I believe he resigned. I, I don't think he was fired. I heard reports that he was fired, that he resigned. I'm not too sure, but it, it doesn't matter if it, it's cancel culture or not, because you just can't come back from that. How, how can you? And let me let me be clear. The only reason that I bring up cancel culture is because that is the narrative that some people are trying to put on this. The people that are that are upset or or disgruntled by the fact that he is no longer uh, with the Raiders. That is the spin that they're trying to put on this. So the only reason I bring that up into this uh, podcast or into this conversation um, is it's in direct response to what I've been hearing. And I will say to your point, Ronnie, this whole idea of do better, be appropriate, um, you know, don't, don't marginalize anybody, black, white, gay, straight, whatever. Nobody can disagree with that, but there is a, there is a component to that where the idea is that, that we hold people accountable and we ask them to do better. So the only way that I can see John Gruden coming back to TV or to coaching on any level from Pop Warner to, to the NFL is, is if he somehow can prove that he has improved as a person, because that's the whole point of this. The whole point of this is to make people do better. And if he can show that he's doing better, he might get another shot. But I just simply at this point in time, don't know how you can, you can show that, right. Or how you can prove yourself again after something like this. Think about this for a second, right? We've all been part of a team, right? At some part in our life, whether it's high school, you know, for fun with their friends. If you get one person from that entire team that has a problem with the coach or an issue with somebody in that staff, it's over. There's no way I think that he can ever coach again because all it takes is one person to ruin the whole entire locker room. He may, you may have an, like most of the team saying, let's, let's bring this guy in. We need him. He's, he's, you know, he's better. He's we're past this. He's a better man now, but it only takes one person again. And that entire rock room is ruined. I, I don't think anyone will ever give him a chance again. I mean, he may become an announcer down the road because a lot of people, for some reason, in our society, like forgive and forget, you know, he's going to put out, you know, another apology probably, but maybe years from now he becomes an announcer again if that, but as far as coaching, I don't know. I mean, high school maybe, but I don't see him coaching the pros ever again. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I don't, I think he's, he's done. I don't think he's, he's coaches again. I don't know how he can. And I don't, I don't even think he's going to be an announcer again. Um, but I, I did think it was interesting though. I don't know if you guys watch Sunday night football, but you know, they, they touched on it in studio at halftime or during the game delay where Mike Tirico, who was obviously in the booth with, with John Gruden for several years and, and Tony Dundry, and they have their own history with, you know, the coaching switcheroo that they did and everything. But both of them talked very highly of John Gruden and they were almost in a way to me, I took it as that's like not his character with what he said, but then all the other emails came out the next day and where it kind of went, even deeper and deeper into what he said. So I'd, I'd like to hear what maybe their opinion is now on the matter. But, um, but bottom line is, like I said, he, he, you just can't come back from this. You know, there's, that's what I mean. It doesn't matter if he's fired or resigned or whatever. How are you supposed to come back to this team with what you said? 
No, he will never go back to the Raiders, obviously. And and it was released earlier that he was removed from the Tampa Bay Ring of Honor. Um, so there, there's a whole, we could do a whole hour on this, guys. I mean, this is, I, I love the fact that we're uh, straying away a little bit from the Lions because the whole idea of the fan forum is to discuss things that impact the Lions and things that happened around the NFL. Um, so so it's a, it's a worthwhile topic that we could spend uh, a whole show on, if not more. But let's, uh, let's get back to Lions. But I think Ronnie has something he wants to say. Yeah, no, I was going to try to get us back to the Lions as well. I, you know, back to Dan Campbell, though, the, the press conferences with him crying. Have we seen it all now from Lions head coaches? You know, we have a long stopping, history. Stopping short of just like explosive diarrhea in the middle of a, <laughs> yes. of a press conference, I think we have. We've seen yeah, the I anger, mean, we've seen the rage, we've seen the, the tears. We've yeah, I mean, you have attempted comic relief. Yeah, you have in the 70s, you got Monty Clark praying on the sidelines for a field goal for Glenn Murray to hit the field goal. He misses it. They lose the playoff game to the obviously we know what happened to the San Francisco 49ers during the 80s. Then after that, you have Daryl Rogers in the 80s begging to get fired, asking what's a guy to got got to do to get fired around here. You have Wayne Fonz doing lines of coke pretty much right before a press conference and maybe after a press conference. You got Bobby Ross calling out players, pretty much saying the same thing. They're they're quitting on me. I want out of here. You got, you know, Jim Schwartz fighting, trying to fight Jim Harbaugh on, on, on the sidelines. And now you got Dan Campbell crying. So I mean, we've 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 seen a lot of crazy stuff over the years. Well, I, I think uh I think that we've kind of touched on it all. Um, this was a good one. I really feel like we hit a stride here. We're we're hitting a stride, I should say, with the with the podcast overall, with the fan forum. Um, not really much I can say that we haven't already said. Just thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for the positive feedback that we get throughout the week. That that's kind of like the fuel here. The more we can hear from you guys, the better. Anybody got anything to close with? I guess I should should say that I don't know if Wayne Fonz was doing coke before and after press conferences, but. <laughs> I heard stuff, so that's all kind I have to say about that. Kind of a safe assumption when you're known throughout the league as cocaine wean. <laughs> Bob, yeah. you got got anything to close? Yeah, with? I just want to throw out there: um, continue to follow us on Twitter, uh, Detroit Lions underscore FF at Twitter, um, and also coming up next month, we're going to be doing some squares to the Lions uh, Thanksgiving game. Uh, so we'll put them out on the fan forum, and we'll give you guys all the details on the fan forum on how to get a square if you want to get one for that game. All right. Well, uh, Ronnie, Bob, thank you guys for your time. Fan Forum, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for our our people that download and uh, subscribe to us. I can see those metrics, and I really appreciate you. We all do. Uh, just do us a favor. Like, follow, share. Like, follow, share. Keep it up. Keep it going. We will be back to break down game six, and uh, we got some other special stuff in store for you guys, so hang tight. And uh, we appreciate you. Forward down the field. I think we're going to call it a night. So signing off. <laughs>